You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. So somebody said to me this week, uh, so, so Easter Sunday, is that for the church? Is that kind of like Super Bowl Sunday for everybody else? Is it that big, you know? And I said, well, maybe, maybe bigger, you know, for us. I love today because what we always talk about on Easter and are able to celebrate is life. And so I don't know if you know the story of Ida or not, but it would only take you one minute to watch this video with me. So if you're not aware of Ida's life, I, I, want, you to, I want you to watch, okay? 7, I get it quite often. And I've gotten quite a few on 14. I just get them on the fly. I have a key to the gate. And any time I'm in the mood, I come out and play, even if it's by myself. I'm Ida Parachi. I was born here in San Jose. And I live right on the practically number two hole on the golf course. I practically own this course. Everybody <laughs> says, here she comes. get in the mood and so you're out here and everybody knows I'm out here a good four or five days a week <laughs> I'm 101 I am enjoying life I really am it's just coming day for day just being a good kid that's right <laughs> that's not too shabby So 102 years old and still playing golf in San Jose, California, about four to five days a week. That kind of sounds like heaven to me. I'm not for sure. <laughs> you know, we are obsessed with life. As a nation, we are obsessed with life. I went to Whole Foods yesterday. Have you been there lately? Do you know how many people show up at that place every day because they're trying to eat more healthy so they can, I guess, live longer? We, we talk about living all the time. We hardly ever focus on dying. Our conversations are seldom about what happens when we die. But we are obsessed and we talk all the time about life and living and living longer and quality of life and what can life be like. So I'm at a stage in my life, when I think about life, do you know what I think about? Ta-da! This is what I think about. My little nine-month-old grandbaby Sadie. And I, I have no shame. I'll, I'll show pictures to complete strangers. If you've got a minute, I've got some pictures I want you to see. This is the newest trick that we have right now. Sadie is pulling herself up on her own and she's standing by herself. And this is just this week. And Brittany told me uh, the other day, she said, Daddy, Sadie, now that she can pull herself up, all she wants to do is just stand up all the time. I understand that there is one in every family, honestly. I know that. But I can't help but think she is the most beautiful and perfect little thing I've ever seen in my entire life. She is wonderful. Do you know what? God is all about life. Do you remember this story in the book of John, chapter 3, where Jesus talks to a guy named Nicodemus? And he says, Nicodemus, you must be born again. The implication is, you've been born, I've given you life, but now I want you to be born again because I want you to have life. He says it this way, because Nicodemus cannot begin to comprehend it. He qualifies it with this language, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. 
But that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And so Nicodemus, you've been born of the flesh, you've got life. Now I want you to be born of the Spirit so you can have life. And so I want you to take some time with me this morning to think about this gift of life that God desires to give everybody. And in his heart, it's about being born twice. Being born of the flesh and being born of the Spirit. So open your Bible and go with me to the Gospel of John chapter 11. The Gospel of John chapter 11. And I'm going to start reading with verse 17, okay? The Gospel of John chapter 11. And I'll begin with verse 17. So maybe I should take a few minutes and kind of tell you what happens in verse 1 and catch you up with the story. So here's what's going on. Do you remember that Jesus has some friends named Mary, Martha, and Lazarus? They live in a community called Bethany. Don't you love the community of Bethany? It's actually a different Bethany a long way from here. It's only two miles east of Jerusalem in, um, near, in, in this two miles east of the city of Jerusalem in the country of Israel in the Middle Eastern part of the world. So it's a long way away. But what happens is Jesus is a couple of days journey from Bethany. And he gets a message. They deliver this message to him. Some messengers do. And here's all the message says. Your friend Lazarus, he is very sick. And so they don't say, will you please come? They, 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 don't, they don't do anything like that. They, they just kind of believe in their hearts that if we let Jesus know that our friend Lazarus is sick, that he'll probably show up. But something really odd happens. Jesus doesn't do anything. He doesn't tell his disciples. He doesn't send the messengers back saying, I'm on my way. For what seems to be two days, he does absolutely nothing about the fact that his friend Lazarus is sick. Nothing. And then, in two days, he says to his disciples, I think we should go to Judea. And his disciples begin to protest. <laughs> Wait a minute. I don't think this is a good idea that we go to Judea because the last time we were in Judea, they tried to stone you. Is Judea a safe place for us? And then Jesus says, we got to go. Lazarus is asleep. And they think that he means asleep, but he really means dead. And so finally he has to say, no, I'm telling you, Lazarus is dead. But I'm glad I wasn't there. Why are you glad you weren't there? For your sakes. Why for our sakes? So you can believe. And so that takes us to verse 17. So on the arrival, his arrival rather, Jesus' arrival, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. So he obviously died the day they sent the message. Jesus is two days away. And when he gets there, Lazarus has been dead. And they would bury you on the same day in that society. And he's dead and been in the tomb for four days, okay? Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. It's probably not unusual. It may have had to do something with Martha being the older uh, to go greet Jesus. And so here's what Martha says to Jesus. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And so Jesus said to her, Martha, 
your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection in the last day. But listen to Jesus' words. He said to her, I am the resurrection. And I am the life. And the one who believes in me will live, even though he die. And whoever lives by believing me will never die. And then he says to Martha, Do you believe this? And so I want to ask you the same question. Do you believe this? These words of Jesus... Do you believe they are true? So, it's a long story. I can't tell it all in one Sunday. And so what we're going to do is take three weeks to tell the story. So today I'm going to focus on the resurrection. And then next Sunday we're going to talk about when Jesus said to the sisters, Mary and Martha, why don't you show me where you've laid Him, where you've buried Him? And what they say is, come and see. And so what you'll find next Sunday is that Jesus will say to you, and to me, come and, and show me where your sorrows and your pain and your grief is. And I think you might be surprised as we work through the passage what Jesus' response to Mary and Martha is. And then on the final Sunday, we talk about Jesus' power over resurrection on the third week. And I know that all of us have people that we love who have died. And, and what does it mean when we talk about Jesus having power over death in His resurrection? So it'll be a good three weeks to spend together in this story. So, when I read the Bible, I don't know about you, but I have all kinds of questions. It just seems like when I'm reading, they pop into my head. Sometimes when I'm doing devotions in the morning or studying, I'll just write the questions down because I really want to answer those questions. And so, when I read this passage, three questions just kind of pop into my head. One is, so what is the story about? Is it about Lazarus being raised from the dead? Because that's what happens. Jesus raises him from the dead in the end of the story. Or... Is the story really about the fact that Jesus has power over death? Or is the story really about people like you and me who can be raised to new life in Christ? And so I think the answer is simply this. The story is about Lazarus being raised from the dead. And it's about Jesus having power over death. And it's about people like me and you being raised to new life in Christ. So it's Easter Sunday, and I don't like talking about death on Easter Sunday. I want to talk about life. But before you can get to the resurrection, you've got to get through the death. And so death is what they are facing. Death is what has happened in this family's life. We don't, we don't do well with it. We, we, we've tried to make it as pleasant as we can, but, but our greatest problem is... We really don't fully comprehend death. When it happens to someone very close to us, it shakes our world. We don't completely grasp it. And so we try to make it prettier than it is. You understand, only a few generations ago, throughout the history of all mankind, every family prepared the body of their own deceased loved one. It's only in the last few years that we have said, yeah, we're not going to do that. We're going to let the professionals take care of it. We're going to sanitize it. We're going to professionalize it. We're not going to really deal with dead people anymore. We'll let professionals deal with our deceased. And so we take coffins and we make them as pretty as we can make them because we don't know what to do with death. 
And we take cemeteries and we try to make them look like botanical gardens because we want to make it pleasant because it's harsh and it's hard. And the thing that is most difficult is that it is final. When the hammer drops, there is nothing we can do. It's over. They died. It's finished. You can't even discuss it. It happened. And so that's where this family is. They've gone through sickness. They've gone through death. And now they're going to have a funeral. In, in that world, the funeral would happen the same day the person died. And so people came, and they got together, and they tried to help with the whole loss of a loved one. So, I don't know how to make you feel like you're at a Middle Eastern funeral this morning, but since it's Kids Worship Sunday, Family Worship, and kids are with us this morning, I employed a couple of kids to come and help me out. So if you guys will come on. What, what they had every time they had a funeral is they had a flute playing and they had cymbals clashing, okay? And so as they had this flute playing and cymbals clashing, they also had wailing women. Lots of wailing women. Even if you were some of the poorest people ever, you would try to get wailing women and... I think they did a very good job. What do you think? Good job. <laughs> we decided we would spare the wailing woman, though. The Hebrew word is Shava. You have Hebrew friends? You ever hear about the word Shava? It was seven days of deep mourning. Not only did it include the flute playing and the cymbals crashing and the wailing women. But when you went home after the funeral was over, can you imagine going home after going to a funeral with your family and all the furniture in your house facing the walls? It was reversed where you couldn't sit on it. So what you'd do is you'd sit on the floor or you'd sit on very low stools. And the idea was that the greater the mourning and the louder the wailing and the louder the crashing of the cymbals, the more esteem and honor you paid to the deceased. And so this is the setting that Jesus comes to. This is where he finds himself. Four days. They are into the seven days of mourning. And Lazarus has been dead and buried in a tomb for four long days. The conversation is not really surprising. It's sad, though. Martha says to Jesus, you know, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. It's this, it's this statement of faith, you know. I mean, you have so much power. We've watched you heal people. I mean, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. I, I, I relate to that. I understand it. I, I feel, I think, something when I read those words. Maybe you feel something when you hear those words. I remember standing at a graveside after we had done the funeral for a boy who was 15 years old. And his dad, Bruce, says to me, Pastor, you know, he wanted to go out. And, and I almost said, almost said, don't, don't go. Eat supper and then go, okay? Let's, let's eat together, then go. Supper was almost ready. It was almost on the table, but I didn't say it. If I would have just said, Stay and eat supper. But I didn't say it. 
if the cancer had not returned. You know, we wept it the first time. I mean, I mean, like a champ. If it hadn't returned, it, it's, it's that world of if. And I think all of us have stories like that in our lives. It's kind of like Saturday of Holy Week. Friday is a really hard day. It's the worst day of your life. Your hopes, your dreams, they all are crucified. They're on the cross. Sunday, we know there's hope and there's resurrection. But Saturday, it's like there's nothing. You wake up and you're still alive, but your dreams are dead. You know you've got to go on somehow. But you struggle with, why would I try to go on? It's not that there's nothing, there's something, there's silence. It's as if God isn't even speaking. And you want to say, hey... It's hard. It's a hard road to walk down. But yet, even there, Martha finds faith. And she basically says, you know what though? I still believe in you. I'm hurting really bad right now, and this is awful, and I wish you would have been here, but I still believe that you have great power, and God will give you whatever you ask. I still believe in you, God, even though my life is really bad today. I I think sometimes when we're waiting for Sunday, you know, we're kind of wondering, is this this what I've got? Is this what life is going to be? This dysfunctional marriage, is it just going to be dysfunctional? One day is it just going to fall completely apart? Or are we just going to live like we're living? This illness I'm living with, is, is this what I've got? Am I just going to live with this illness? Have I got this the rest of the way in? This depression that I live with, is this depression always going to be here? Is this what I've got? Do I just need to accept it and say, okay, this is the way it's going to be? I don't have a job. I've lost my job. I don't know when the interview is going to come. How long is it going to be until Sunday comes? Man, there's somebody in my life I love a great deal and they just keep making bad decisions. How long are they going to make bad decisions? Is it ever going to change? You know, if you would have been here, if my kid had gotten in with the right bunch of kids, you know, in high school, I think think they could have just done much better. You know, if I would have married the other person, maybe my life would look different. If I hadn't gotten a new supervisor, I would be fine because my old supervisor and I, we got along just just great. It's that world. It's a hard world to live in. And Jesus does something amazing. He introduces in the conversation... A new concept that has not been discussed yet in he and Mary's conversation, Martha's conversation. And the idea that he introduces is the idea of resurrection. So I want to talk about it from three points of view, okay? This idea of resurrection. So here's what he says to Martha. Martha, um, you know that your brother is going to rise again, right? And so this is standard Jewish belief, and that was this. That everybody who dies, all of God's people, 
After they die, there is going to come a day, on that day, when everybody will be resurrected, and they will be given a new body, and they will participate in a new heaven and a new earth. Yes, the resurrection is going to come one day. It's out there, but one day we're all going to experience the resurrection. It doesn't seem to bring her a lot of comfort. But that's the idea of resurrection. Let me, let me talk about resurrection from a second point of view, okay? So... Martha doesn't understand it because it hasn't happened yet. But you've heard about it. So if, if somebody comes up to you and says, well, you're a Christian, right? You, you believe in Jesus. You're a follower of Christ, aren't you? Yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. Okay, I heard about resurrection. Tell me, what does resurrection mean? Probably you're going to talk to them about Easter. Because, oh, the resurrection, that's the foundation of our faith. I mean, the resurrection is what we stand on, Right? And you're going to talk about Jesus being raised from the dead on the third day. And the resurrection is the foundation of our faith. It it, it is the most powerful symbol in all of Christianity. We've been trying to say that as we've led up to this day. And you might say, but what about the cross? Isn't the cross a very powerful symbol? It is. But if you stop at the cross, you stop short of the full story of the gospel of Christ. You understand, when Jesus died, the movement died. Do you know what the disciples did? They went back to fishing. They went back to life. And they began to say things like, we had hoped. Well, if all the disciples went back to fishing, then how did the gospel take off so fast? Because of the resurrection. They went back to ministry. And so you read the story about the ladies getting up early in the morning on Sunday and they went to the tomb. Why did the ladies go to the tomb early on Sunday morning? One theory is that the men had prepared Jesus' body with the linens and the burial spices. And the women said, if the men fixed it, then obviously it has to be done right. So let's go take care of what the men messed up. See, if you're making up this story, if you're trying to make up a story to get people to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, you would not put women at the tomb first because women in that world had no credibility. Do you know why they say in the story that the women went to the tomb first? Because the women went to the tomb first. They're just telling the story like it happened. And if you're making up a story... And you were making the story, you would not make yourself out to be the coward who, forsake, who, who had forsaken Jesus in the darkest moment of his life. And when they found out that Jesus' body was gone, nobody guessed the resurrection. They all said, hey, what, what have you done with them? They assumed it was a stolen body. But the disciples stood before the risen Jesus. And they said, oh my goodness, he is alive. He has risen from the dead, and they all go back to ministry. So let me talk to you about the resurrection from a third point of view, okay? Some days, when you preach, you you feel like you've got something you really want to say. And, And you find yourself praying, God, I hope they hear me. Because I think this is really powerful. I, I think this is life-changing. And, and this is one of those moments where that I pray, God, please, somehow in this room right now, just kind of help us to focus. 
and, and, and help us all to hear what you want to say to us. Because I think this is what's happening. Jesus has this conversation with Mary, and here's what he says to her. Mary, I know you're looking over your shoulder at what happened. I don't blame you. Anybody would be looking over their shoulder at what just happened. You've lost your brother. That's very hard. He died. I understand. But Mary, what if you stopped looking behind you and you started looking into the future? You believe in the resurrection, right? Every person who loves God will one day be raised to life who has died, right? Yes. Mary, what if? What if God brought the future to your right now. What if? What if God brought the future resurrection to you right here? What if? What if Lazarus was alive right now? Can you imagine what Mary's got to be thinking? Because Mary, the resurrection is more than something that happens in the afterlife. And it's more than a historical fact that will happen to me. The resurrection is a person, and that person is Jesus. Can you look at that picture? So if you ever, ever, ever was asked by anybody to define the resurrection, would you ever just say, okay, I've got a picture, let me show you. This is Him, that's the resurrection. But that's what Jesus says. Mary, I'm the resurrection and I'm the life. The resurrection is a person and He is standing in front of you because the resurrection is now. You don't have to wait for life and hope and healing and help and love and grace and forgiveness because I am the resurrection and I am here now Jesus is alive and He is with us. So, so what do you do? What do you do? I, I think the answer is found in the conversation. Mary, do you believe this? Martha, rather, do you believe this? Do you believe the Son of God has come into our present existence? And if that's what you believe, then bring Him all of your struggles and your dysfunctional marriage and your child that you're concerned about and your lost job and your pain and your grief and your tears and your worries and your concerns because you can find hope now. So here's, here's where I struggle. I struggle because um, I watch people live in their struggles. And I watch people just kind of exist in their pain. And I watch people live in their sin. And the cycle just kind of continues and keeps going. And I want to say, don't you understand, you, you don't have to live in that. I watch people live in despair. You, you don't have to because Jesus is with us now, and life is with us now, and resurrection is with us now, and new life and hope is a possibility in your life right now. 
And so, and so I watch it happen all the time. All the time. I see it. I, I had lunch with a guy this week, and I sat across the table from him. And, and I listened to him tell me about new life. <laughs> my life used to look like this, but my life doesn't look like this anymore. Now my life looks like this. And it's because of Jesus. I have new life now because of Him. I, I, I talked to a young mom this week who talked about my life used to be back here, but now my life is here. And it's because of Jesus that I have this life now. And, and I want to give this life to my little girl. I want her to have this kind of life. I've got to pass this life on to her. I, I, I think about people who over the years have kind of stumbled into our churches as, as we have pastored throughout the years. And I remember this, this one young lady and she came to a Wednesday night dinner and she didn't want to be there. And, and it was awkward because her mom wanted me to talk to her and I was the pastor and I wanted to talk to her. But she couldn't have weighed more than 90 pounds and she was probably 26, 7 years old and she was living with a drug addiction and her eyes were shifting everywhere and I tried to engage in conversation and it was not going to happen. I remember another Wednesday night though she came and she was willing to come to an altar and let a bunch of people get around her and put their hands on her and pray for her. And that night she asked Jesus to come into her heart and she asked to be freed from her addiction. Those early days were rough. I remember there were relapses. and Those were hard for her and for her family. But I remember when her life started coming around and I remember when she got a job, and I remember when she got a car, and I remember when she got a place to live, and I remember when she got custody of her kids, and I remember when she got married. I remember when she got life. And it's Easter Sunday morning. And I have no interest in just coming to church and... Wearing something somebody bought new. And just kind of saying, it's part of the day. It's what we do on Easter. We just go. And then we go do the other stuff. I want God in all of His love to say to somebody, I've got life for you right now. Do you want it? I don't want to watch you live like this anymore. I don't want to watch you struggle. I don't want to watch you wobble. I don't want to watch you hurt. I don't want to watch you, you live in your grief. I want to give you life. And so I think what we do before we leave on Easter Sunday morning is that we come to Jesus. We come to Jesus with our, with our pain. And we come to Jesus with our grief. And we come with our dysfunctional marriages. And we come with our burdens for our kids. And we come with our job loss. And we come with our relationships that are not working right. And we come with our sin. And we come with our physical illnesses. And we say to him, I heard you have something for me now. And he reaches into God's future and he brings life into our existence today.
That's what I think Easter is about. So why don't you stand with me? And why don't we take that opportunity to pray before we leave this morning. So we'll sing some together, which will be a prayer. But you can also pray your own words. And you can pray where you are standing. Or you can pray at an altar if you like. And this morning is one of those days where I want to encourage you, urge you, if you have any desire at all to come forward and pray, I would say, well then come forward and pray. If you have an interest in saying, I I want to bring my struggle, then bring your struggle. And if you want to be anointed and prayed for for physical healing, there will be pastors here to do that. There will be pastors here to pray for you for any need that you might have. And if this morning you say, I want to come in my sin and I want to be transformed, I want to be changed, I want to be forgiven, then come and be forgiven. Bring all of your stuff to Jesus. Because He is the resurrection. He is life. He is hope. And He is here now. So if you want to come and pray, I encourage you to come and pray.
me just give you this blessing before you go, okay? And if you want to come and pray with a friend, you're welcome. Or if you want to come and pray, you're welcome. Or if you want to linger when we're finished, you're welcome. But this will be our benediction. Now, unto him who is able. I love the words. He is able. We sung them earlier in the service. Now, to the one who is able to do abundantly more than we would ever ask or even begin to imagine. God can help you. Be glory and honor and power forevermore. God bless you. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at BethanyNaz.org.